0: 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 1. This is after the uh, Mount Carmel story where uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal have this kind of standoff uh, to see whose God is more powerful, Um, and the story where Elijah calls down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel to burn up the offering. So this is what takes place after that event. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran For his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there was by his head a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. And said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, I often find that when Christians talk about their faith story, they talk about major turning points in their lives, major moments in their lives of faith. When they experienced the presence of God in such a powerful way that it changed their behavior, changed their very identity. When I was living in Houston, Texas, when I was in high school, the value of a personal testimony was strongly emphasized in the Christian circles I ran in. Christians were frequently encouraged to share their personal testimony of when and where they accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And many of these stories were about transformative experiences in people's lives. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That kind of thing. But as a teenager, I wrestled profoundly with this kind of story, with these stories. My parents raised me to understand that faith was a daily practice, not a series of revelatory experiences. And so for me to hear my friends and mentors share stories of accepting Jesus into their hearts, of recommitting their lives to God, of being delivered from a certain temptation or sinful practice, these were difficult stories for me because they were kind of foreign to my experience. They had never happened to me. For me, dedicating my life to Jesus wasn't a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It was a daily practice of faithfulness to God and his will. And faithfulness, as I understood it, was continuing to trust in the promises of God through good times and bad every day. And so my personal testimony, if you could call it that, was that I was born into a Christian family. I went to church. I read my Bible and prayed every day, or tried to. And I tried to live in a way that was pleasing to God. In a testimony culture like what I experienced in Texas, my testimony was kind of lame, kind of embarrassing. But one thing that I always appreciated about the kind of faith that my parents inspired in me was that it was a faith that could sustain me through good times and bad. I was never looking for that next big experience, that next big turning point in my life when everything would change. Faith was simply a daily, faithful response to God. If it was a good day, I thanked God. If it was a bad day, I cried to God. For many of the adult Christians that I knew in Texas though, their faith story was a series of these transformative experiences. I was directionless and bored in a dead end job and then God spoke to me and told me to change careers and now I'm happy and successful. I was struggling with doubt and uncertainty when God spoke to me and told me to become a youth pastor and now I'm happy and successful. I was depressed and hopeless and unhappy. And then God spoke to me and told me to marry the girl of my dreams. And now I'm successful and happy. It's kind of a predictable script. (laughs) Stories that come from happy places. Stories from happy people. Successful people. In the Christian circles that I was a part of in Texas, we called these kinds of experiences mountaintop experiences. And we get that language from the Bible, where God often reveals himself to his people in these incredible mountaintop stories. Noah's Ark, the Ten Commandments, the building of the temple, the transfiguration of Jesus, the crucifixion, the ascension, all of these happen on mountaintops. Major turning points in the history of God and his people. But most of the Bible is not about these mountaintop experiences. Most of the Bible is made up of stories that take place between the mountaintops. And sometimes we lose these in-between stories because the mountaintop stories are so much better But our text for today is an in-between story. Quite literally, in between two mountaintops, in between Mount Carmel and Mount Horeb, we find Elijah in our text today. Between the fire of Mount Carmel and the still, small voice, the gentle whisper of Mount Horeb, Elijah has been faithfully following God faithfully calling God's people to turn from their wicked ways back to God. He has been speaking the truth to power at great risk to himself, obedient to what God has asked him to do. He confronts the wicked king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, calls them to account for their leading God's people into idol worship. And at God's command, he sets up a contest to show everybody That the God of Israel is the true God over all the earth. That Baal is an empty idol without power or authority. He faces the 450 prophets of Baal on the summit of Mount Carmel and calls down fire from heaven. And all those who are gathered to witness this incredible event fall to their faces and worship God. I don't know what Elijah expected to happen after that but I imagine that he felt on top of the world. He's been faithful to God. He's just demonstrated God's power over the false gods of Canaan. He's purged the land of the blight of idol worship. He's brought God's blessing on his people again. After three years of drought, there is rain. And I don't think it would be a stretch for us to imagine that Elijah thought that in that moment, He had been the vessel for God changing the course of history. That the king would repent and turn back to God and call God's people to follow suit. That right worship would be restored in the promised land. They would tear down the altars in the high places where they worshiped Baal. They would tear down the asherah poles where they performed their pagan religious rituals. The king would make him an advisor, maybe, and he would stand there at the right hand of the king and lead God's people in a revival of right, good, lawful worship that pleased God, calling God's people back to faithfulness. That's not what happens. After the Mount Carmel story, Elijah is not honored. He's not respected. He doesn't change the course of history. The queen of Israel makes a vow to kill him. The king puts a bounty on his head. And Elijah, afraid for his life, flees, he runs away into the desert, into the wilderness. Elijah runs a full day through the desert, through the dusty wilderness of Palestine. And finally, out of sheer exhaustion, he collapses under a desert shrub, under a broom bush. And as he sits under this bush, he cries out to God, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Because I'm no better than my ancestors. falls asleep. Elijah will go on from here to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, to speak with his maker. Elijah will confront his God, and God will answer him. God will speak to him in the still small voice, in the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit, and give him new purpose and direction in his calling, leading him to call Elisha and mentor him and take his place as God's prophet to the house of David. Deliverance is coming. But that is 40 days away. 40 long days for Elijah. In our text for today, Elijah is not delivered from his questions. He is not delivered from his hopelessness. He is not delivered from his depression. Elijah has lost all sense of direction. He did exactly what God told him to do, and it didn't work. God's people didn't repent. The king and queen didn't respond to God's power. Instead, they used their power to try and kill. God's prophet Elijah's mountaintop experience has amounted to nothing all his work everything he's done was pointless he feels worthless directionless lost Elijah feels profoundly alone and he wants to die. And what does God do? We might expect God to show up, to talk to Elijah at the very least, to give him comfort, assurance, direction, hope. We might expect God to show up and tell Elijah that everything's going to be okay. Remember my promises. Remember the hope that you have. We might expect God to tell Elijah that he does have a plan. That Elijah's work hasn't been in vain. We might expect God to come and make things right. He doesn't. In the midst of Elijah's pain, in the midst of his sadness, in the midst of his suffering, God doesn't give him easy answers. God doesn't tell him that everything's going to be okay. God doesn't tell him to buck up and chin up and be grateful for what he has. God sends him an angel who touches Elijah and offers him a meal, a loaf of bread, a glass of water. In the face of Elijah's hopelessness, his directionlessness, his feelings of self-loathing and worthlessness, God offers Elijah a simple meal to get him through the day. Get up and eat, for the journey is too hard for you. We might want God to answer Elijah's questions, but God simply offers him strength for the coming day strength to trust even when he doesn't understand. Strength to endure even when he wants to give up. Strength for the day. People of God, the truth of the matter is that for most of us, our life with God, our journey of faith, is made up of in-between stories like Elijah's. We wrestle with questions that have no answers We struggle to find direction and meaning in the everyday goings-on of life. Many of us, like Elijah, wonder whether our work, our effort makes any difference at all. Many of us feel alone. Some of us have prayed Elijah's prayer. Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. Some of us have tried to help God along in that regard. And in those moments, we might hope for an answer from God. We might hope for some profound revelation that helps us to make sense of the whirlwind of life, something to take away our pain, something to give us purpose, something to make our life worth living again something that confirms that we're on the right track or shows us a better way. But often, God's answer is simply to give us another day. Every morning, God gives us another day. Every morning, he offers us strength for that day. Every evening he offers us rest from our labors. You know when I sit and when I rise, the psalmist says. You discern my going out and my lying down. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark with you. The night will shine like day. For the dark is as light to you. We come to this place every week longing for something. Longing for an experience of God, perhaps. Longing for community. Longing for truth. Longing for peace. Longing for forgiveness. Longing for things that we cannot find in this world. Longing for things that only God can give. We come with our sufferings, our pain, our doubts, our struggles. We come with broken relationships bearing the guilt of our sin with restless hearts that long to see God's face. We come to this place with our questions, our doubts, our burdens, and our sorrows. And we might expect God to answer us, to give us clarity and purpose, to make things better, to take away our pain and make us happy and successful, like all the stories we've heard. But God doesn't give us easy answers. We come to this place And God gives us strength for the day. He feeds us with his word and his spirit. With the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving us strength for the coming days. Strength for the journey ahead. Because it can be too much for us. Strength to trust him for one more day even when we can't see the path ahead. Strength to endure the in-between stories when we don't know where life is headed. Strength for today. In baptism, we remember the promises of God. That he will be our God. And we will be his people. In all of life's twists and turns, this is what holds us fast. When we find ourselves in the wilderness, under the broom tree, afraid for our lives, crying out to God that we've had enough, we hold on to this sure That our God is a good and faithful God. That he will not abandon us even when we feel alone. That he will always be with us even when we are afraid. Even when we fall into sin. Even when we lose hope. Even when we feel afraid and can't see where our lives will lead. God will be with us. giving us strength for the day, strength for the journey until the day when he comes again and our faith will be sight and our suffering will end and the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Our good and faithful God. We thank you that you are faithful to the promises that you have made. We pray that you would give us the strength to endure each day. We pray that you would give us a faith that can endure the heat of the day and the dark of the night. Strengthen us, O Lord, for the journey ahead until we can stand in your presence and hear those words well done, good, and faithful, sir.